the recording. Great. So I just want to let you know um, that this part of the meeting is is recorded, and we do put it up on um, Podbean. Um, and but we also leave time for question and answer period, and that part will not be recorded. So the recording will be shut off if anybody has any questions afterwards. Um, Anyway, so my name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and um, welcome everybody. Happy to see all of you here. Happy to see newcomers and, um, and old comers too. So uh, tonight we're gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about into action, um, steps 10 and 11, and it starts on page 84 in the big book. Um, so I'll read a little bit of it and then I'll interject. Um, this thought brings us to step 10. So step 10 says that we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past, we entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should be, it should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And when these crop up, we ask God to remove them at once. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. And then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. And, and really the last time, um, Janet did go into step 10. So the only thing I'm really gonna say to sort of add into it before I get into step 11 is that um, we're, in a new, we're in a new life. We've entered the world of the spirit. And, um, and so we've got a new function and we've got a new code. And our code is to be useful, right? Our, our function is to be useful and helpful and our code is love and tolerance. And that's really what, what we shoot for at all times, you know? And to me, you know, I, I've said this a lot, when I say that I've got a code, it means that it's my standard operating procedure. You know, it's like the SOP of this organization of me in this world of the spirit. And it's my mission statement, you know? It, it, I want to live in the world of the spirit, then I've got a mission statement and it's not fairness and it's not justice and it's not right versus wrong, but it's love and it's tolerance. And love is easy, right? Love's that, I don't need to spend a lot of time defining love. We know what love is, but tolerance sometimes needs a little further explanation because I think sometimes people think tolerance means that you're going to have to stomach people and situations that you don't like very much. And it's almost like, ugh, ugh, I have to tolerate them. And that's not what I believe that this standard operating procedure really is. It means that I have to ask God to diminish my sensitivity to the rest of the world, to stop having such a thin skin, to kind of toughen up a bit, right? Um, and to make not ease and comfort my guiding force, but my spiritual relationship, my guiding force. And so um, I might not be comfortable all the time, right? And then I ask God to increase my ability 
to tolerate my own discomfort, not the other people in the world, but that thing inside me that seeks comfort at all costs. Okay, so now we spoke last time about the promises, which are just, you know, incredible. And I'm, I'm you know, if you want to hear more about it, we got it last week. Um, but I do want to talk about this. Um, it says that um, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. This is on page 85. And subtle, right, is making use of clever and indirect methods to achieve something. Two, arranged in an ingenious way. Or three, crafty and cunning. And foe is an enemy, right? So basically, I would say this disease is... Um, it's the wolf in sheep's clothing, you know? And um, because it seems harmless, but it's really not. And how do you protect yourself from an enemy that doesn't look like an enemy, right? And that's, that's the problem for us. It's like, I can't protect myself from something that seems harmless, that's a subtle foe. Well, you know, we're not cured of alcoholism. It says what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So if I want to remain safe from this subtle foe, from the wolf in sheep's clothing, then I stay in fit spiritual condition. And how do I do this? Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. And these are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we want. This is the proper use of the will. So, you know, sometimes people say, um, you know, I don't, I can't use willpower at all. I have no willpower. Right, when it comes to the food. But we actually can exercise willpower. We can exercise willpower in seeking God's will. I can use willpower to live in agreement with what God's will is for me. When I'm overly focused on myself, on my little plans and designs, I can use willpower to start focusing on others. And when I wanna play God, I can use my willpower to knock it off, right? These are the ways that we can use willpower. I can use willpower to pray, Right? Some mornings it's like, I don't want to. I may have to use willpower that morning. Um, I can use willpower to meditate. I can use willpower to call a fellow when I'm upset rather than just saying, I, don't, I really don't feel like talking about it. Um, and I can use willpower to stay away from negativity, to stay away from gossip, to stay away from situations that I know I shouldn't be in. And if I seek God, then I'm safe and protected. And I don't have to use willpower for the food, but I can use willpower to seek God's will. Page 85, much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. 
So I, you know, I have a dear friend in OA um, and she's actually, she's a nun, she's in her eighties. And, you know, early on when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, um, she shared with me that the 12 steps um, helped her come to have a relationship with God that she never had before. And this is a woman who's been a nun for like all of her life. And that like, I, like, I remember that just floored me. Um, but she said that through the 12 steps in Overeaters Anonymous, she came to have a relationship with God, not just a belief and not just a faith, but a living relationship with God. And she one time referred to God as Sid. And I just thought, I was like, huh? And she said, yeah, you know, strength inspiration and direction. And I thought, I love that. That was just so, um, you know, wonderful. So when I read strength, inspiration and direction, I sort of think about that idea of making a God that's accessible, you know, that's like right there, you know. Um, so it says, if we've carefully followed directions, we've begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. And to some extent, we become God conscious, you know, awoken to God, right? Conscience of God. We've begun to develop this vital sense, this vital sense of God's presence, but we must go further. And that means more action. Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. So what, first of all, what do they mean by proper attitude for effective prayer and meditation? And, you know, I, I believe that um, it's an attitude of open-mindedness and a craving for God. Like that has to be my attitude. I've got to want to have this relationship with God like desperately. I have to crave it more than I've craved the food. Um, and, you know, basically what I, what I share often is that I am a woman. I came here because I required a miracle. You know, I, I often share my pictures on here. I talk about where I was initially came to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, over 300 pounds, in morbid obesity, having so much knowledge about food, nutrition, calories, weight loss plans, healthy eating, my own allergy, and I couldn't manage to live in agreement with everything I knew. And, and I kept trying to acquire more knowledge. Like that was my thought. Let me try a different food plan. Let me try a different thing. Let me learn some more. And nothing worked, nothing. Nothing worked for the long term. At some point it would give way. I would just could not sustain it anymore. And so I came here because I was out of ideas. I was completely desperate. I didn't need a sponsor to tell me I was desperate. I didn't need a fellow to tell me I was in deep trouble. I knew it to the core of me. And I knew that nothing human 
was working. Nothing human was doing the trick for me. And so I came here needing a miracle. Like that was the only thing that I was here for. Like I wanted something miraculous to, to step in between me and the food. Well, if I have the attitude that I need a miracle, then I pray because my life depends on it. And I don't worry, does this make sense? Does this sound so sure? I do it because I got nothing else, I got nothing else. And that's where it begins for most of us, right? And, um, and what happened through my recovery was I began to experience a miracle. And I'm like, okay, this thing, this God thing works. This idea of a miracle is something that we can actually recreate over and over and over again through the step-by-step process, right? So here I am now, step 11. And so now I've got to have this attitude that I am open, that my mind is wide open, you know? And I'm told this all throughout the text. If I have the attitude that I need a miracle, then I pray because my life depends on it. I look to help others because my life depends on it. Nothing I'm asked to do will seem like too much, again, because I know that my life depends on it. But there's another miraculous transformation that happens here is at some point, I don't just do those things because I'm afraid that I'm gonna eat again, but I begin to do those things because I want to, because I crave it. And I crave living this way. Prayer and meditation becomes my spiritual nourishment, becomes what I want to do. And what else might they mean by the right attitude? Well, it makes me think about all the way back in the beginning of this chapter very beginning of this chapter on page 72, because the word attitude comes up here in step five. It says, having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. And so, you know, an attitude is the way you think and feel about someone or something a feeling or a way of thinking that affects a person's behavior. And I needed a different attitude. What I usually say to people when we're sitting down to do their fifth step is I say, you're here because you need an attitude adjustment. Like you need a fresh attitude. That our old attitude sucks, it stinks, and it's not allowing us to have a relationship with God. So let's abandon that old attitude and get a new one. And that's the attitude I have to have here as well. I have to constantly be seeking an attitude where I am seeking God, where I'm looking to lose the things that are in the way. If it's in the way between me and having this relationship with God, I don't want it anymore. I no longer want it. That's my attitude. That's the attitude that I have. So, um, You know, in the AA 12 and 12 on page 97, it says those of us who make regular use of prayer would no more do without it than we would refuse air, food, or sunshine. And for the same reason, 
When we refuse air, light, or food, the body suffers. And when we turn away from meditation and prayer, we likewise deprive our minds, our emotions, and our intuitions of vitally needed support. So my step 11 practice, it's related to my step two, coming to believe. The attitude that I need to have is the childlike faith that's talked about, you know, way back also in the explanation of the Wright brothers. And then it's further discussed again in the appendix and the spiritual experience. And I, I, I love this too, because this I think is very helpful for people who, um, who aren't sure about this thing and they think it may be kind of a hoax, right? It's a trick. And says on page 568 that there's a principle, which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is contempt prior to investigation. So I can't grow spiritually. I can't have contempt prior to investigating. Basically, I say, I have to stop being so damn cool, right? I can't think that it's beneath my consideration to pray and meditate and seek God. I can't think I'm too good for God, right? And then expect to receive strength, inspiration, and direction, right? How am I going to get strength? inspiration and direction if I think it's beneath my consideration. And I, I kind of laugh at the old me who came here broken, thinking that that's ridiculous. Like as if any idea I had, you know, worked, right? Um, so now we're gonna be told what to do. How do we do this, right? Cause we're gonna give clear direction. Well, it says at night, page 86, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving towards all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack, into the stream of life. And we're told, but we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. So, you know, I'd say, I think it's um, important that we're told we constructively review our day. Not we review our day to make ourselves feel like garbage and to take a big red marker and mark it all up and say you stink, right? But to be constructive. And I'd say like, you know, um, I liken it to like um, in education, we talk about like actionable feedback. I'm gonna give feedback that somebody can take action on. And that's really what this is for me. I, I review my day so that I can take further action on how to improve. 
And I think about it like, you know, in education, there's two types of assessments. There's two types of tests, right? Basically, there's one that you get at the end of the semester. That's the grade. That's, you know, that's, that's a summative assessment. That's the summation. That's the summary of your course. That's at the end. For me, I guess maybe at the end of my life, right? And then there's the formative assessment. Those are those little quizzes you take along the way that you get some feedback on and now you know what you need to improve so that you do better. And that's what my nightly review is. That's what that's supposed to be for me so that I can actually improve. I can make improvements um, and I can use willpower to make improvements, right? I can actually look at my, my actionable feedback and say, okay, I'm gonna be constructive. You know, there's lots of ways to do this 11 step review, this, this nightly review. Some people do, there's 11 step trains that are popular with some people. Some people share it with a sponsor or a partner in program. You know, people use the OA toolkit app. There's all sorts of things. I generally share my review with sponsees as a teaching tool. And when they, you know, when they get up to the step, I share it with my sponsor. I sometimes share it with a continued with a group of people. Um, and, and I think the important thing is that it's not done in isolation. I think the important thing, first of all, is that it's done nightly and that it's done in community. And that's important for me. And I'd say that I do it in community for two reasons. One is we're told that a solitary self-appraisal is insufficient, meaning I won't go deep enough if it's just for me. And I also know for myself, I have a lifetime of being less than consistent. I need accountability in my life. I like to know that there's people who are expecting my review. It helps me, it keeps me on the beam. You know, it keeps me in there. And I also do it because I need humility. I need, I need to reveal the ugly underbelly of who I am, lest I start thinking that I'm the power that got me well, right? So I, I, for me, I, I find it's been very helpful. Um, and the point is to continue, improve and progress. For me, my nightly inventory, inventory encourages me to do better, to seek God's will and to live in the agreement with the divine. Now, the second paragraph on 86 to the bottom of 87 is gonna describe our morning prayer, our meditation. So if you look at the bottom of uh, page 86, on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead we consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. So I think what's significant is that I consider my plans for the day. And if you look at the word consider, it means to think carefully about something, typically before making any decisions, to think about and to be drawn towards a course of action. And I like to think about that as God 
is a part of this drawing me towards the right course of action. And, you know, consideration is also means to regard someone or something as having a specific quality. It's consideration, right? Consider. And that's what I'm looking for too. I want to have, I want to be regarded as having that quality. And notice it doesn't say we create our plan for the day. We construct our plan for the day. We consider our plan for the day. I don't create the plan and I don't build the plan. Remember that eight steps ago, because now we're on 11, eight steps to go, I decided to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And when I'm considering what I'm going to be doing for the day, I'm asking myself, what actions will I be taking today to live in agreement with what God's will is for me? That's the consideration. For me, this generally means that I'm thinking about others and how my actions are going to impact them, right? Page 86, in thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. And here we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or a decision. I think these are very helpful directions. When I don't know what to do, here, I, here I'm told, okay, number one, we ask God for inspiration. You know, and if you, I, I love definition, inspiration is the process of being mentally stimulated to do or feel something, especially to do something creative, right? So I, I ask God to stimulate my thoughts, to give me some creative thinking there. You know, um, it's also inspiration also means a sudden, brilliant, creative, or timely idea. And I love this. Inspiration has another meaning too. It means the drawing of breath, like an inhalation, inspiration. You know, and we all know that, you know, if you think about breathing, that breath, it's not something that we're in control of. Like I go to bed at night and I don't have to say, okay, keep breathing, keep breathing. Don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to breathe. Um, you know, and, and I, somebody one time shared with me that, you know, that power, that breath that happens without my thinking about it, that really is the presence of, uh, of God inside me, that life force. And, and it's so powerful that when I decide to hold my breath, you know, someone told me one time that if you hold your breath and you pass out, one of the first things that happens is you breathe you know, if everything's okay, if you don't hit your head, right? That you take a deep breath. And so I think God, that's really, that's God's power. Um, you know, so when I'm struggling with something, I'll just share like one of the strategies that I use. I focus on my breath. I focus on my actual breathing. And a practice that I do is I think about the air coming in. And as I'm breathing in, I clench my fists as I inhale. I like breathe in and clench my fists. And as I exhale, I let go of everything. I unclench and I just like relax. And I do that a few times. And sometimes that's like enough 
to kind of clear me, to get me calm, open, you know, and I guess really probably what I'm doing is I'm bringing more oxygen into my body, which, you know, I guess is like what my body needed. Um, and I can ultimately relax and feel closer to God in that. You know, I pray for God to stimulate my thoughts. Inspiration is a thought that comes clearly from God. It's a thought that doesn't sound like anything I could have thought up myself. And it's usually an idea that's like way more creative than, than like that I know doesn't come from this brain. And then intuition, intuitive, is understanding something immediately without the need for conscious reasoning. That's the other thing I ask for. Basically, it's a thought that seems instinctive as though it came right from within me, as though it was something that I was just born with knowing. And those are the things I ask God for, right? I ask God to like, give me some creative juice here. Give me something creative and make me think that it was mine all along, right? Make me think that it really originated from me. And, you know, here we're told if we don't feel inspired and intuitive, then guess what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to relax and take it easy, like chill out, just chill out. Don't struggle. I don't force myself to decide. And I no longer make, I have to tell you, one of the things that happens in recovery is I am slow to make decisions today. I don't just do it. I don't just do it in the moment. Um, if I have to make an immediate choice and I'm not sure of it, and to not choose means that I miss out, well, then that's the choice. Then I miss out. Right? That's to me um, really just relaxing and taking it easy. And we're often surprised how the right answers come after we've tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or, you know, the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. So as my recovery progresses, I find that my decision making skills have progressed too. I seem to just kind of know what I should do more and more. And when I don't, I feel okay in, in relaxing and letting it and letting it unfold. I don't feel as owned by circumstances, by the outcome, by what's gonna happen. I feel more concerned with living in agreement with what I believe God's will is. And that's something that happens over time with a lot of practice. And it says here, being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it's not probable that we're going to be inspired at all times. I'm not going to feel inspiration all the time. And it says, okay, well, you might pay for this presumption and all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. So I'm going to make some crazy mistakes along the way, right? Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. So since I'm just learning this, I, I say, you know, sometimes people ask, do you need a sponsor once you've been through the steps? Can you just like go it alone? Or can't you just bring your things to just between you and God if you've got a problem? And here we're kind of told, mm, Easy does it, maybe not just yet. 
you know, for me, I think this paragraph says it's crucial I have a sponsor as well as a solid recovery fellowship to bounce some of my cuckoo ideas off of, right? I need like, I need a few people who are like, know me well, who can call me out on it, who can say, I don't know, that sounds like easy does it girl, right? And, and I've learned that going it alone is dangerous, right? It's dangerous, we're not supposed to go it alone. Um, we're not cats. We're not snakes and spiders, we're humans. We're supposed to live in community. That's the way that we were designed. This is a we program. You know, the fellowship is, is pretty big. It's, it's not God, but it certainly helps me live in community with God, right? Page 87, we usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all throughout the day what our next step is to be, that we be given what ever we need to be to take care of such problems so i don't ask god anymore for life free of problems but i ask god to open my eyes so i can see and recognize the resources he gives me to take care of my problems it's like you know i'd say it's kind of like that old request, I'm sure you've all heard it, like instead of giving a hungry person a fish because they only eat for a day, if I ask God to just grant all my wishes, give me what I want right now, right now, it's like, it's like asking for a fish. And really, um, you know, a hungry man is better off with a fishing pole and the knowledge of how to fish. And that's really what, what I get here in this program. Um, I get resources so that I'm able to navigate life and its problems. Um, you know, we ask especially for freedom from self-will and we're careful to make no requests for ourselves only. And, you know, again, this is where my third step prayer comes in perfectly because if I'm asking for myself, then I, I probably haven't really turned my will in my life over to the care of God. I've asked God to turn his will and his life over to the care of me, right? That's backwards. You know, um, we can ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. Because remember this world of the spirit that we live in now, our job is to grow in usefulness for other people. So we wanna be helpful for others. And we're careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that and it doesn't work. You can easily see why, right? Why are we warned about praying for ourselves? You know, I, I would say because we don't have the whole picture. You know, we can't possibly know what's best for ourselves or for others. All I have is my narrow human perspective. I can only see what I can see, what one human being can see. You know, I say it's like, I, my perspective is what I see through the keyhole of the door. And then I can say, I think that I want all these things, but I don't really know what's behind the door. My human perspective is very narrow. And if I pray for what I want, why did this doesn't work? If I pray for what I want and I actually don't know what's best for me, 
then when I don't get what I want, I'm angry that God's not working for me. And basically I'm thinking that I'm, that I am the employer, right? I'm saying I'm the employer, God, and you work for me. And that's not how this works, right? That is not the key to successful living and happiness in this program. Page 87, um, you know, near the bottom of the page, I want to say like nothing in this book is telling you to abandon your religion at all. We're told to attend to our religious prayers. We're also reminded to go to our priests, ministers, and rabbis. It says, be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they have to offer. And it's especially important, I would say, never to criticize another fellow's religion or ask a sponsee to break any of their religious laws, you know, at all. Um, we're warned not to mock or belittle anyone's faith. Even when declaring that, um, you know, sometimes I hear people say things like, I used to be, you know, whatever their religion was. And that just, that was a terrible religion and that didn't work for me. And those people in that religion were judgy. And that it's like, we have to be careful not to say those things because we might be speaking to a room full of people or one person who believes in that. And now we have just kind of called into question their religion and their religious practices. So we don't criticize, we respect other people's religions and their religious practices. Um, you know, again, we're told what to do when we're annoyed or unsure. We pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show. Constantly reminding ourselves of this, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. And if we do this, then here's what we get. Less danger of excitement, less fear, less anger, less worry, self-pity or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We don't tire so easily. So most people, as we start to work through the steps, I get the same thing in the beginning. They're like, there's no way that I'm going to have time to do everything. This is crazy. This is what, this is too much work. These are too many assignments. This is too many meetings. These are too, what a blah, blah, blah. This is too much, too much, too much. And yet we get weirdly efficient. I don't understand how, but in the world of the spirit, I have a lot more time, much more time than I ever imagined I had. Just had this conversation with somebody today. They couldn't believe that at 6 a.m. in the morning, when they realized that the food that they were planning on having was not available, they were able to get to the store on time and get there. That stuff, before you're working this program, sounds ludicrous, that you would never be able to navigate it. I don't know, when we stop playing God, we get a lot more efficient. Basically, when I'm not doing his job or thinking I'm supposed to do his job, I got plenty of time to do mine, plenty of time, right? So 
Um, I also find that I'm not so easily upset. And I think back, you know, think back in the beginning when we discussed tolerance as diminished sensitivity. Well, if I pause and I go to God and let go of the outcomes, I find that I'm really not so sensitive. I can be like that little sailboat in the storm, right? When, when the storm gets really rough, either I let out some more rope and I'd say like, I give the world some slack, right? Like that's what it is when you let out some rope. It means like I can kind of bend and go with the wind or here's what boats do when storms get really bad, they just take down their sail. They just pull it right down. And if I just pull down the sail, then for me, what that means is I stop having a way, right? If I can't like relax and kind of let my way kind of sway with the wind, then I can just completely like abandon having a way. And that's what I mean about the proper attitude. That's the proper attitude. Um, and I don't have to get tossed around by the wind. I have greater ability to detach, you know, and see things as just happening and not from the lens of this is happening to me, right? Sometimes stuff just happens, right? And it's my perspective that interpreted it as it's happening to me. And that's what this step really kind of lets me let go of. And to me, this is one of the best lines of all in the book. It works. It really does. This process works. This is the 11th step promise. We get a relationship with power. And this is what keeps us safe from the subtle foe, this relationship. We've had that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive eating. And when it's done so thoroughly and so intensively, our foot is right there and we can't wait to take the next step, which is gonna be step 12. We can't wait to get in there and help others. And um, with that, I will pass.